Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. And welcome to episode number two of the Long Care CEO. My name is Dan Ralphs. I'm here with my partner, Aaron. Um, I really am into fertilization, Suttonfield, and I'm committed to P4P, Suttonfield. Yeah. So I am excited to be with you uh, for this episode of the Lawn Care CEO podcast. So um, here's where we're going to start today. Uh, my wife, I'm married. I have uh, five kids, most of them on purpose. And um, my my wife is a labor and delivery nurse. And I was I was trying to teach my wife a little bit about what we do at the Lawn Care CEO, which is, you know, I, I told her I, I kind of want to be a little bit like a doctor for lawn care companies. And I said, so sweetheart, tell me like when a, when a woman comes in and she's in labor. So my wife does labor and delivery. So when, when someone comes in and a woman's in labor, like what's, do you have a process for evaluating what to do? And she said, yeah, of course we do, right? We, first of all, we hook them up to the monitors. Now, for those of you who've never been around a childbirth, what that means is that the monitors are like, like stick to the woman's stomach and they can kind of evaluate whether or not she's contracting. And then there's a monitor for the baby so they can tell how healthy the baby's doing. So it's a monitor for the mom and for the baby. And by the way, I know way too much about this, Aaron. Um, no man should know as much about labor and delivery as I do um, being married to labor and delivery nurse. But anyway, so I know a lot about labor and delivery. So they hook her up to the monitors and the monitors give these vital statistics um, that, to make sure like they can evaluate and know with a, with a certainty whether or not uh, this mom is healthy and whether or not the baby's healthy and they can kind of have her hang out there or they can take action if something's going wrong. So that's kind of the, the vision I want you to have in your head, not of pregnant women, but of just the fact that when you go to a doctor, they hook you up to stuff to know whether or not you're healthy. And, and my, my wife said, it's sort of funny. I can see why this is like being an entrepreneur, that the moment of passion strikes and the baby is made, but then to keep the baby healthy long term, you have to, you have to like pay attention and monitor whether or not this baby is healthy. And I was like, oh, that's so true. I don't know how many entrepreneurs started in a moment of passion where they thought this is a really good idea. And it was really fun for the honeymoon of the business. But then there came a moment where it was like, oh, no, we have to go through this whole laborious process to actually have a really successful, healthy child. Does that analogy make any sense at all, Aaron? It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we do. We get excited about building businesses. But, you know, the work is in the details of running and operating and scaling the business. Um, so, yeah. Very, yeah. So far, I'm, I'm tracking <laughs> the funniest part about this though was I remember when my wife first this is this is I don't know if this is relevant to anyone, but when we first had our first baby, our oldest son Jay, this is almost 18 years ago now. And I remember uh, my wife would come to me and say, Oh, sweetheart, my stomach is hurting in this weird way, or I'm having this contraction, or something weird's going on with my body, which happens apparently when you're having a baby. And and she would say, and I would, and then I would turn to her and I'd say, all right, I want you to pretend you're a labor and delivery nurse, which she was at the time. And I'm going to pretend to be the father calling into the hospital for you to know whether or not it's healthy. And, and she would, I would call and I'd say, this is what's going on. And she'd say, oh, everything's fine. But that's part of it, right? It's hard to evaluate yourself to know whether or not 
you're healthy as a mother, even though she knew all of the things, because it's hard to identify whether or not you're healthy um, from the inside looking out. It's easier from the outside looking in. And I think a lot of times um, as coaches, we experience that. We notice. And when we meet a company for the first time, we go, man, you're not very healthy. And they don't even recognize it necessarily themselves because it's just kind of what has been or what's normal. And so today in our podcast, we thought it'd be fun to kind of unpack and ask the question, what makes a lawn care company healthy? So if we could, I could take you to Dr. Suttonfield here and Dr. Suttonfield <laughs> would hook you up to the business monitors and we would be able to track, you know, in, in, in the medical field, it's like your blood ox rate or something like that. It's your, it's your pulse. It's your temperature. Like there's a handful of things they pay attention to. That if we could do that to your business and we could hook you up, what would the numbers, what would the, uh, what would the analysis show us about whether or not your business was healthy? And so we're going to try to walk you through that. Uh, that's one of the things when we're working with companies, it's like, man, we want to notice right away and be able to analyze right away whether or not a company's healthy. So Aaron, here's our question. What is the first thing you look for when you're evaluating whether or not a lawn care company is healthy? What's thing number one? Uh, first thing, first thing to be financial health. Yeah. Okay. How healthy is the company financially? So, I, I'd agree. Uh, pr primarily because we talked about this before we got on. Um, but the number <laughs> one thing would be financial health, right? We would evaluate: uh, Is this company healthy financially? So this would be a, the equivalent of like your your blood pressure or your heart rate. It's like: Is the heart beating? Is there enough blood in this body? to like for all of the important functions to happen. And if there's not enough money flowing through this system, that's crisis, that's emergency, and we got to fix that right away. And so that's the first thing we're looking for. So more specifically, if you were going to quickly unpack or try to help someone understand whether or not they were healthy, what number specifically would you be looking for, Aaron? I mean, so I'd, I would, the first question I'd have for you, if you were a company that we were working with or that I was talking to, whether I was working with you or not, I'd say, hey, do you, do you balance your books regularly? Um, do you under <laughs> right? like, understand? Do, yeah. do you even do know they, the numbers in the first place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, do you have an understanding of the COGS, you know, cost of goods sold? Um, do you understand your overhead? Do you understand net margin? Uh, I think we have a pretty cool number that we look at called the gross profit number, which we'll dig into a little bit, hopefully. Um, I would want to look on your balance sheet and understand, you know, uh, what's your debt look like? You know, how much debt are you carrying? What's the debt service for that company? Um, you know, what are the distributions to the owner? Um, how much is the owner taking out? And, and then I would want to know what's your cash on hand um, and, you know, kind of what's the what's the monthly operating expense of the company. Um, and, and, and so those are the things I'd want to know. And I'd want to know as far as the financial health goes too, it's like, what's the, what's the revenue look like for this company? What's the, what's the guaranteed reoccurring revenue uh, for your company? Mm. Are you having to resell stuff every month? Uh, because my appetite for some of the things we talked about here, like debt and cash on hand would vary greatly based on you're a solid reoccurring company, revenue company versus Hey, we sell yeah. something new every day, you know? So. Yeah. So let's, let's look at a few of those to start with. 
and and we're probably speaking a little bit more and probably actually probably not I was going to say we're looking a little bit more at like a maintenance company or a fertilization company. We're probably speaking a little bit more to you if you're in that. If you're full scale landscape um, uh, design and build build out, then that might be a little bit different. But so let's talk about just the the groups that are on the on the maintenance and the fertilization. Those like ongoing expenses. So the first mm-hmm. thing we're going to look at is a relationship between three numbers. The first one is our cost of goods sold. So our COGS. And Aaron, in in super summary, what what are the things that go into COGS? Because I'm not sure everyone calculates uh, that's the same way. Yeah, it it, it does vary. Um, I was talking to a restaurant uh, owner yesterday. He owns nine co- uh, Golden Corrals, and he told me his COGS were like forty percent. I was like, oh, it's cool. And, he's, and I said, well, mine are you know thirty two percent, and that's my labor material. And he was like, oh, that's just my material. And so yes, you're right. COGS are for our discussion today, we are talking about cost of goods sold. That is the labor in the field and the material that we spend on those projects. Um, you can also include disposal costs, but most companies, service companies, are not going to have a huge disposal cost. Um, so we're really mainly thinking about labor and materials. So again, we try to keep things super simple here on the Long Care CEO, right? Labor materials. That's it. So that's what's going to go into our COGS number. And our COGS mm-hmm. number um, is, the, is the beginning point, right? Everything we have to produce labor, that's the beginning of when we think about a healthy company. And if you're mm-hmm. um, a f- like a full service maintenance company, Aaron, what, what should our COGS be? COGS are what? Uh, COGS are going to be 35%. A full scale company, uh, 45% and below. So it's... Someone Somewhere south of forty-five percent. If you're a, a mm-hmm. fertilization company, it's probably in that south of 30, 30 to thirty-five percent is probably what you're going to mm-hmm. see, and that that would be healthy. Anything south of thirty-five would be healthy. Um, and then if you're just mowing, just maintenance, you're going to be in that forty-five to forty-eight percent range. Um, so, yeah, so that's the first thing we would look for. And if you, if we saw somebody who was just doing mowing and we calculated their cogs correctly, and they were at sixty percent, we would go, "Oh, Let me say that, yeah, that's not super Real quick." I mean, just just mowing alone would probably be in the in the you know thirty percent range if they didn't have a ton of of material. So if they were just yep. a mowing company, they were mow, blow, and go. That's all they were doing. They would need to be under forty percent because it would mainly be labor in that column. It'd yep. be very little. Uh, and so this is a very this is a very simple thing for you to evaluate. All you have to do is just go to your profit and loss statement. Hopefully, you have one of those. If you don't, this is where you're. We're going to tell you to go get a, a good bookkeeper, outsource that bookkeeping work, and have somebody come and help you get the, the, those numbers. But then you're going to look at your cogs and you're going to say, "Hey, am I in a in a healthy range for what?" types of services I provide. And obviously those are going to be different based on service. So that's number one. Number two is your overhead number, right? So this is every other expense in your business that's not included in your COGS, every other expense included in your business, that's kind of your overhead number. So, and your overhead number, uh, where do we want that to be, Aaron? If we're, if we're going to be in, in, in the range well, of healthy, this, this I mean, is a harder one. Just, just as some just <laughs> deductive reasoning, right? Like if my COGS are 35% and my uh, net profits 20%, then uh, that leaves me about 45% left, right? 
Uh, yep. If I'm aiming for you know a healthy net profit of twenty percent, then I would be somewhere in that forty five percent range. Which is kind of cool. And if you're if you haven't discovered this magic yet, um, it's a cool magic to say I now have a budgeted amount that I can spend over the period of a year, because I know generally if I'm going to make five hundred thousand, if I'm going to make a million dollars, keep the number simple, I'm going to spend three hundred and fifty thousand dollars on labor and materials, and I want. $200,000 left over at the end of the year, that gives me uh, $450,000, right? To spend on mm-hmm. uh, salaries, my salary, uh, the facility, uh, the gas I'm putting in the tanks, the vehicle, like all of that stuff, right? And so that's what we want to start to pay attention to. We want to start to pay attention to the health of the business and make sure that those ratios line up. So that's part one. Part two is we're also looking at the debt load for that company, because we could find a company where where everything in the in the P and L sheet is going to show nicely. It's like, oh, look how healthy this P and L is. But when we add the debt load, we no longer have a twenty percent net profit. We now have a two percent net profit or something, right? Where it's like, oh, right. this isn't as healthy anymore. So the thing that a lot of companies miss, and and one is most everything we're talking about, if you're a new business owner or you've not been in very long or you're you know you're just just not that knowledgeable about the business side, um, all of this is going to be foreign to you. Um, but I find that most people kind of understand the PL statement a little bit. The one thing they miss is that if they're in debt, if they're cover if they're carrying debt, um, and then all of that service is going to come on the it's going to show up on the balance sheet. And it's 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 going to come from your net profit. If you're paying if you're paying those bills on time the money is not going to be subtracted from your P&L statement. Um, and this is one where people say all the time, like, should I lease or should I buy the equipment? Should I get a loan or get, or get a, a, a lease on the equipment? Uh, interestingly enough, if you lease equipment, it will show up on the P&L statement. It's a little cleaner. You can see it a little easier. Um, on the balance sheet, if you're borrowing money for a loan on a truck or a piece of equipment, it's going to show up on your balance sheet. And so it can be really easy to kind of forget about it. It's kind of living over there. Um, and you just don't really see it firsthand. Um, and so so understanding understanding that. I think we skipped over something real quick, Dan. Um, yeah. I firmly believe that unless you are a CPA and you got out of being a, an accountant and you started, you know, doing lawn care, then you probably need to hire someone to your, do your books. <laughs> Is that a very um, common? Is that a very common story? Accountant turned <laughs> lawn care professional. I don't, I don't think that's a very not, common not category. <laughs> but I've, I've I've met a lot of lawn care guys who think they're accountants, and and um, and 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 the other thing is the next one I hear is, well, I've got someone on my staff. They do that again, unless you were a CPA who got into owning a lawn care company that's going to train the person on your staff to do the books probably should outsource that. And I've seen multiple times where companies could save thousands of dollars by outsourcing it. They were paying someone yeah. 50000 a year. I know a company paying someone 50000 a year. They outsource their bookkeeping for $1,000 a month to someone who's better than the person that was on their staff. Um, yeah. So do the things you do well and let other professionals do the things they do well. Uh, and so a lot of times we get caught up on that number, that $500 or $1,000 a month. By the way, I've heard this number, and I, you know, I think it's a pretty good budget. You know, budget about one percent of your annual revenue to pay a bookkeeper. Yeah. You know, and so and, and, and here's if the, you're really and, and small, me, that's not going to work great. And I want to zoom back even more. So, this is the lawn care CEO, 
emphasis on CEO. And one of the things we're going to try to do over this period of time is up-level your CEOing. Is that phrase CEOing? We want you to become better at being a CEO. And the, and the transition is when I started my business, uh, I was a bank account book. I was a bank account balance sheet guy, meaning I, I operated off of the bank account, which meant I could spend money if I had it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's how I thought about my financial uh, world when I very first started my business. And what begins to happen is you get to the end of the year, you put in all of this work and all of this effort. And then you get to the very end and you, and my wife would balance my books at the end of the year. So I was not outsourcing my bookkeeping, right? I was making all those mistakes. I would get to the end of the year and, and my wife would be like, bad news, sweetheart. You lost, your business lost $5,000 this year. And I was like, come on. And I was like, this was our best year ever. Nope. I actually lost $5,000. And so we want you as uh, as CEOs to get to the end of the year and know if I had a million dollar year, I have $200,000 that I get to either reinvest or I get to put in my pocket or I get to, right? I have this big number that I get to play with instead of getting to the end of the year, looking at your bank account and going, why does, why is there less money in it this year than there was last year? And, and so that's it's why kinda, these understanding and learning these numbers are so important, right? Kind of want you to get to the end of the month. And know that you lost yeah, money sure. in a month. And yeah. then I know that next month I have to be very careful because if I can't, I can't lose two months in a row. And so yeah. when you have a poor month, you need to know that. Uh, by the way, if you're not balancing those books by the 10th to the 20th of the, of the next month, you're doing it wrong. You yeah. can't balance books every three months. Um, so, so really, you, you can't even get into understanding this stuff unless you are are balancing and reconciling your, your, your bank accounts. You're tracking those receipts. Uh, we were on a call earlier today. We're talking about, you know, collecting receipts. Um, you know, those receipts need to be attached somewhere. I mean, QuickBooks has a really cool thing where you can upload the receipt, attach it to the, to the expense. You know, those are the things that good CEOs and good CFOs uh, are doing. And so if you're running a healthy company, uh, you're doing those things. If you're not, you're probably not really yeah. healthy. Um, so, so in review, um, mm-hmm. how do we know if a business, a small business, a lawn care company, a lawn care company is healthy, really any small business is we're going to look at the, uh, we're going to look at the books and we're going to ask, is this a company that's financially healthy? And what that means is they have a nice, healthy margin at the end of the day, even after they service their debt, uh, they have a little, they have some cash in the bank and their cogs and all these other overhead proportions are in, in alignment. Now, um, the first thing we would ask is, have you even balanced your books? Do you know where your books are at? Can we even tell if you're healthy enough? Um, and so if you're sitting along at home, you're like measuring yourself, asking yourself, is my lawn care company healthy? We would ask, are your numbers in balance? And do you know if your numbers are in balance? And if you don't know your numbers are balanced, then, then that's where we begin, right? We'd say, hey, we don't even know if we're not healthy. And that's almost scarier. By the way, if you go to a doctor and the doctor says uh, you're sick, it's almost better than that they say, we know something might be wrong, but we're not sure. <laughs> like You never want a doctor to tell you, we don't know what's going on. That's the scariest thing of all. So we want to get to the no. All right. So thing one is financial health. Thing one's financial health. But we've met companies, I've at least met companies who financially were healthy. 
but they weren't healthy companies. Like there were other things going on where you go, man, even though financially your books might be in order and you might have a nice cash reserve, yeesh, there are some other pieces to the puzzle that aren't there. So Aaron, what's your number two piece? Yeah, business rhythm is what we okay. call it. Um, so that would be, you know, how is the business operating? Um, if depending on your size as an owner, if you're a smaller business, are you taking time to sort of look back at the rhythm of the company? Um, you know, planning, you know, for the future of that company. Uh, are you looking at metrics that the company may be following? Um, if you're a larger company, you know, what's your, what's your leadership team's meeting schedule? If it's not yeah. weekly, 60 to 90 minutes. Um, if you're not having quarterly meetings for a day with your leadership team offsite, and then two days annually, you know, that's the type of rhythm that a healthy company has. And they're kind of flushing out those issues, those key things that yeah. the company needs to focus on. Um, so business rhythm is, is huge to a healthy, thriving company. So there are two types of companies, I think, that I notice that are may even be financially healthy, but in the business rhythm area, they're not. Uh, the first type of company I'm going to call my full speed ahead, all gas, no brakes company. The all <laughs> gas, no brakes company is the company where, you know, this guy, the CEO is like, sell, 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 sell. And they're just constantly bringing a new business. They don't really know what's going on behind them. They don't know the chaos they're creating in their in, in their in their office. They don't know the chaos and, and confusion they're creating in the field. But man, the numbers are healthy. Man, we're selling a lot of stuff. And man, <laughs> it seems like everything's great. And everyone in the office looks beleaguered. Their eyes are sunken. They're like, it looks like a, a prison camp. And they're just like struggling <laughs> to keep up as the owner just keeps selling, 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 selling. So, so all gas, no brakes is number one. And, and the second category that I see this happening is, is often when the CEO or owner is taking on way too much themselves. Hmm. So, so they're, uh, we'll call them the, the, the heroes, the martyrs, uh, probably martyr, martyrs is a better word, but they're the martyrs, meaning they, they have all of the tasks that need to happen in the business they're so busy doing all the stuff. They're so bit caught up in the whirlwind of the business uh, that they never have time for anything, not for their families, not for their kids, not for their dogs or their parakeets. They have no time. And as a result, the thought of pausing to take time to, to balance your books, check your numbers, do these other pieces seem, seem secondary. Um, Stephen Covey talks about this, where he says, we, we're so focused on the urgent that we never focus on the important, right? Um, so we're, we're not paying attention to those things that are important, but not urgent. And we mm. get caught up in the, in the urgency of the day. And so these are the two types of CEOs that I see avoiding meeting, meeting rhythm or business rhythms. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy mm -hmm. for your team in, in the first instance, and it's not healthy for you in the second instance. And so mm -hmm. we recommend you get some kind of rhythm in place and, and the rhythms include a planning rhythm. All right, we're going to make a plan for this quarter. We're going to make a plan for this year. We're going to make a plan for this week of the work we're going to get done. So some kind of planning rhythm. We need some kind of accountability or leadership rhythm. These two can go at the same time where it's like checking in with my leadership team. I'm making sure my staff isn't overwhelmed. 
And I have a rhythm of meeting with them once a week. We're making sure everything is healthy. And then finally, some kind of financial rhythm where we're really regularly making sure that our financial health continues to be healthy. And so part two for us, when we're talking about, is this company a healthy company, is we're asking about, hey, do they have the proper business rhythms in place? And you've seen that, right, Aaron? You've seen guys who are just completely worn out because they never pause to ask, yeah, is it I mean, wise the, for me to take this job or which the, jobs are am I losing money on or, right? So, um, yeah, the, the, the two guys, I mean, those are great. The uh, all gas, no brakes guys and the CEO takes on too much. I mean, that's true. That's pretty much, they fall in one of those two camps. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just not sustainable. None of that's sustainable. Um, I kind of fall in the camp of the CEO takes on too much. That's sort of my my sort of go to. <laughs> yeah. um, and and you know, it's funny because I think we do that because we think we're going to be um, the best at it. Well, I'm, the, I'm you know I'm really the only one that can do this in the company because yeah. I'm the one that knows it. The reality is because we take on too many things, we actually do it really poorly. Um, and if we let another person take that role and really be focused on that, they probably would do it better than us. Um, and it's really sort of at an least, arrogance. At least better, at least better than our our 10% effort at it, right? Because we're just squeezing sure. it in somewhere, right? You have to be honest with yourself as an owner. You're, you're not going to have, you know, the focus on everything that you need. It, you're you're going to be pulled in so many directions. Um, and so if you don't elevate and delegate some of these key tasks to someone else who can hammer that nail every day the same, um, yep. you're, especially those things that are reoccurring for your company. So, um, you know, elevating and delegating some of these tasks are actually going to be handled better than you can uh, just because you're not available. Um, and and if, yeah. if all heck breaks loose and, you know, payroll's got to get out, um, you know, are you going to really be able to get payroll? And you miss payroll, it's a big deal, right? Those are just... Yep. Those are things that have to happen every week the same. And, and 100%. there's just a system to most of these, which I'm probably giving away step three, but you know, systematize some of these things so that someone yep. can do these. Um, especially well, and, if they're and, and here's, the, here's the thing that surprised me, Aaron. And I, re, I, I don't remember the first time I heard it, but I, I feel like I hear it all the time. It's sort of like when you buy a new car and then you see that car all over. Like I heard this for the first time and then I heard, I've heard it again and again and again. One of my favorite questions to ask CEOs who've really made it, you know, these are long care companies that are at 50 million, 10 million, like big, big long care companies um, and other software, you, you name it. And I say, when did it really shift? What was one of the things that really made the difference for you? And I'm shocked at how often the answer is we started a regular meeting rhythm. That sounds, <laughs> that's the lamest answer ever. Like we wanted to, the answer to be, well, we, we, crack the marketing code. Well, that's not it. Like usually the answer is we got in a rhythm where we were executing consistently. We got in a rhythm where we were planning consistently. We got in a rhythm where we were consistently understanding our core metrics and we were measuring and we knew whether or not we were healthy and we made decisions and then executed on those decisions. So it's like that is sometimes the center for many of you will be this shift into a meeting rhythm. And that's really easy. It's an annual planning quarterly planning, weekly meeting rhythm. That's it. That's all it is. It's like a handful of meetings. And as much as you may hate meetings, we can talk about that in another podcast episode of how to make them good. But um, 
but that becomes sometimes the most urgent thing. So when we meet a company, usually the way we evaluate that is not whether or not they have a meeting rhythm. Usually we can tell they don't have a meeting rhythm as we talk to their team and their team is frustrated and overwhelmed. We talk to the owner, they're frustrated and overwhelmed. And usually that's points to the fact that there's not a great meeting rhythm happening or the meeting rhythm is effective when they are, when they are doing those things. All right. Mm-hmm. Thing three. And, well, and before you get to thing three, if, if you just commit to that rhythm that we just talked about, even if you're not a world-class CEO or you're not a world-class lawn care guy or you just got into lawn care or, you know, whatever, insert whatever issue might, you might think keeps you from growing a company, that rhythm alone will flush out and you'll become a much better company in 12 months, yeah. 18 months, 24 months, 36 months. You'll be just, you'll figure all those hurdles, you'll jump them faster uh, just having that rhythm because uh, accountability and all that comes into it. So uh, yeah. the third thing that we talked about was um, system simplicity, like just simplifying the company. Um, this is a big one um, <laughs> for me. I think um, I, I see a lot of lawn care companies. That's this is the podcast is the lawn care CEO. So let's let's stay in this industry. Um, how many lawn care companies, Dan, that that we've come across are mowing, fertilizing, irrigating, trimming, cleanup, patios, uh, retaining walls, uh, landscape planting? I, I was talking to I mean, somebody I just named who was eight. I was talking to somebody who was feeling very proud that they. Had, downgraded their service, their, their service line from 200 services down to like 25. And they were like, Ooh, Ooh. look at us. We're, we're like, we're only <laughs> 25 service offerings now. And so like, again, we could meet somebody who's financially healthy. We could meet somebody who uh, for the most part had a good meeting rhythm, but again, we're going to find in the chaos of their business. And that's the key word. If your business feels chaotic, like there's so much going on that can't fit in one brain anymore. There's so much going on. It feels like I'm running in a hundred different directions. When it feels chaotic, that's usually a good sign that you your business is not simple enough and your systems aren't healthy in your business. And one of the primary reasons your systems aren't healthy is because you have so many offerings that each system doesn't have doesn't get the proper attention. So it can't be automated and simplified and made to just work seamlessly because I'm selling hedge trimming and I'm selling trees and I'm selling commercial fertilization and I'm selling, and the list goes on and on. Each one of those deserves its own system treatment. And because we have so many, we can never get to the point where we just have a very simple product where we sell it over and over again, kind of the same way. Until it gets kind of boring, everyone knows what their job is, and everyone knows what to do. Like that's the business we want, because that's the business that's scalable. Mm-hmm. And those are the businesses that you can really squeeze out the most profit of, because sure. you can tweak and you can, you know, perfect those. Um, we talk about growing tall, not wide, right? So grow yeah. one service, maybe two. Aaron, Aaron, let me pick on you for a minute because you had a very important transition in your business where you were Mm -hmm. full service, I do everything, and you've transitioned to where you literally do like three things. So tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about that transition because I think that's important for people to hear that you you bit the bullet and you went deliberately towards simple. 
Yeah, I mean, we we were a full scale lawn care company for twenty some years, and uh, you know there was a few iterations of that. I won't bore you with all those details, but you know we we did kind of land in this residential service based business that was doing mowing, shrub trimming, fertilization, um, and what we found was you know that that would be I would have argued probably a pretty simple concept um, because there was a more complex concept than that. Um, but what that business, what we found is that the margins were the highest on the fertilization, had the least amount of employees, least amount of issues, least amount of expense to operate and overhead. But 75% of the whole company's energy went to the lowest margin service, which was mowing. Um, and and so it was extremely frustrating for a number of years. We saw this trend and I, in 2016, 2017, and I, I talked to people that I was friends with or that I coached with or that, you know, mastermind group I was in. And and I, I would say, I don't know why I'm doing this. I should just focus on this simple side of my business. And uh, finally, in 2020, we decided and, and to simple do that. De- and simple to find. Let me just call this out. Simple to find as, in case you missed it, least headaches, yep. um, highest margin, mm-hmm. simplest for the team to sell. Simplest for the team lowest to fulfill, overhead. lowest overhead. So this is when we're, we're like, you can look at your business and you could do the same analysis, right? And and so for for Aaron, yours was, man, fertilization. Why am I spending all this time over here when I could be spending time on mm-hmm. fertilization? And, and how did it turn out? Uh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, it, 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 <laughs> or else we wouldn't it, be telling the story, us, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and and also, I mean, I think it's important. I don't, don't go get rid of all your mowing right now. Deferred only. Yeah you don't have a good fertilization base. One thing we found is that almost two and a half clients to one got fertilization over mowing. So we had for every two and a half clients that had fertilization, one client got mowing. So it's a really good trend, right? We were like, oh, okay. It's an interesting trend. The other thing that just sort of dawned on me, and if you're in this industry, you should know this, who's the largest company in the, in, in the green industry? True green, <laughs> the True one we green. all love to hate and talk about. Somebody said the other day, Dan, in our roundtable, we had a uh, fertilization roundtable with six companies, and somebody said they're just a they're just a marketing company. I was like, well, they're they're a two billion dollar marketing company that does lawn care, so they are a competition. And but you know, for the most part, True Green does fertilization. I know in some markets they do some mowing and some small things like that, but but they are a fertilization company. And so you know, I was kind of like, well. There must be a reason someone that's got a $2 billion company uh, only focuses on that market. I am seeing a trend that most people who call me for residential service want the fertilization. They're happy mowing their lawn. We actually had one of our vendors was in the room with us the other day, Court, and he said, hey, my dad loves cutting his yard, but he doesn't want to mess with the fertilization. He wants someone to come in and do the fertilization. So it's a little bit, little bit higher barrier to entry. Um, you know, we were trying to teach some, some newer guys how to get into the FERP business. And you, and you could just kind of sense, Dan, when we were talking about, you know, building that division, they felt a little intimidated of how to start and where to start and yeah. how can we make money. And and so the barrier to entry is a little bit higher there for companies. So it's not as much competition. Um, but, but I mean, yes, simplification, less headaches, higher margin, less employees. Yeah. I'll, so I'll tell you we're one, not, Dan, we're that, not, I, that we're, I... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, hold on. The, the other thing that I loved about it, and it's we're going to go to the next next. This will be a good transition. Is the people that I hire today make more money, 
I provide healthcare, <laughs> retirement. And so I am, I am actually one of my, my purpose of my company is to impact people and save lawns. And so I'm actually impacting the people who work with me better. I'm making their yeah. lives better. Yeah. Uh, and so, so the job is better for that person as well. And, and we're not saying, we're not saying everyone needs to drop all the mowing. Like there's going to be a national shortage in mowing across the country because everyone listens to the podcast and quits. No, what we are saying though is whatever you do, do it well. This is Jim Collins' hedgehog concept where he simply said, the companies who really endure, the companies who outperform the others, they figure out what they're really good at and they do that well. And they double down on what they do, they're really good at, and they do it over and over and over and over again. And so I don't care what your thing is. It could be mowing, it could be maintenance, mm -hmm. it could be small scale installation, whatever your thing is, let's get really good at that thing um, and make sure that the numbers are healthy when you do the thing and then double down on that thing because that will be a far simpler business model. And usually when you're little, especially, you should start simple and work your way up. Sort of like somebody gave the analogy of a tree the other day where you start early on and you're just this narrow little focus and then eventually you can branch out in other things. Um, not that True Green did, but uh, but that's you're going to wait until you have a little bit more margin and budget to hire the right leaders in those different areas and to build simple systems in those yeah. areas. All right. We, we won't talk any more about that. All right. Okay. Finally. I got cut Aaron off. He could talk about Aaron's favorite topic is simple, simple things. All right. My final piece um, that for us that we consider healthy. So we could find a company, their numbers look great. They have a nice little meeting rhythm. They even have a simple business model. But if at the end of the day, the culture isn't where it needs to be, and culture, by the way, is the hardest one to measure, but it's the easiest one to tell. It's the hardest one to measure, but easiest one to tell. That if you walk into the business and the culture isn't great, if the people are unhappy, if there's a high employee turnover number, then we're not healthy yet. Uh, I had somebody tell me once that you can smell culture when you walk into a business. Have you ever noticed that? When you, have you ever walked into like a fast food joint and just smelt despair on the faces of the people that were working there? They're just absolutely miserable. And you go, oh my goodness, this place smells and reeks of, of dreams, dead dreams. Um, I, it's hard, right? When, when that culture isn't where it needs to be. And so the last piece of the puzzle for me when I'm evaluating a company, not only do they have to be financially sound, have a good meeting rhythm, have a simple business model with simple internal systems. Uh, that are that are automated and effective, but th there needs to be a bounce in the step and a smile on the faces and a little bit of light in the eyes of the employees that are working there. Uh, or else I don't consider it a healthy company, right? Because at the end of the day, the people who are working there, their souls are rotting a bit um, or they're kind of unhappy or cranky or frustrated. And for me, it's we haven't made it to the to healthy yet unless the people inside the organization are healthy as well. Healthy emotionally, uh, generally healthy financially, um, where we have people that are healthy people within the business. And Aaron, you, I feel like you've done a really good job building culture in your little company. Um, they're an awesome group to be around. They seem generally happy to be there. In fact, one of my favorite guys on your team is always, his favorite line is like, 
just happy to be here. You know, like they're just like, it's like a good vibe. And so talk, talk to me a little bit about what you've done to create that vibe in your little, your little team and why they, they all genuinely seem pretty happy to be there. Yeah. I think, I think this is the part where if you try to fake this as an owner, your team mm. knows, you know, I mean, you can bring us in, we can work with your team. Oh, that owner is really working towards culture. But, you know, we're there for a couple of days. When, you're, when your team's there around you all the time, they can sense who you really are. Yeah. I should share a story at this moment. I just, it just reminded me of a story. I was working with a company out of, I think it's been long enough since I worked with them, out of Cleveland. And was it Cleveland? No, it was Detroit. Nothing, nothing against Detroit, but it was Detroit. And I, I walked in and we were, we were talking about core values and we were establishing their vision of the company. And for us, vision is purpose, mission, core values. And we just had this great conversation and the whole team is there and we're like, yeah, core values. And we we're riding core values down and everyone was just feeling all warm and fuzzy about it. And I said, all right, everyone, we're going to go to break. 15-minute break. Meet right back here. We're going to talk more about values. The During the break, something had happened. I don't know what happened, but you could hear in the back of the room the owner of the business just cussing out one of the employees hmm. to the point where it rolled past the break and into my time. And so I was kind of up front waiting for it to start. And we're all listening to what's happening in the back of the room. And this woman in the front row just looks up at me and says, see, as if to say, see what we deal with here. All of this stuff you're talking about, core values, it's a bunch of hogwash because that's the way he treats us. And I was like, that is not healthy. That is not healthy. And and by the way, I paused the entire meeting and I said, I need to talk with the CEO and the leadership team. And I just basically told them, they never invited me back for some reason, but I basically told them, listen, you're the problem. If you don't fix the problem, uh, this culture will never get any better. And so at the the heart of any great company um, where there's great culture, and I think this is the reason, one of the reasons why you have a good culture in your team, Aaron, is a leader who actually genuinely cares for the people that work there and treats them with dignity and respect and care and love, right? And and that's the at least the center of it. There are other things we can do to support that, but if that isn't right, uh, we're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah, I mean, you kind of took took the words out of my mouth there. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's, it's just if the if the if the owner doesn't buy into it, he can't do it. Um, yeah. And so if you think you're checking a box by, um, you know, ah, I've heard this company is really cool and they have core values and you know, let's get some quick, yeah. core values. And, you know, uh, oh, you know, we need to have a purpose. Uh, you know, when we're talking with new companies and we start talking about this portion, um, you know, we start saying, what's the purpose of this company? I find company owners really struggle here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they struggle because most of us got into this because we needed to feed our families and we needed to put some food on the table. And so the purpose of the company in the early days is we got to eat. How much money can we make so that we can pay the mortgage? How much money can we pay, get make so that I can quit my job? Maybe you're, maybe you're, you know, doing two different things right now and you're, 
you're part time in the lawn care business and you're trying to get into the into this or uh, you know, so it's, it becomes a lot about how much money can this make me as the owner. Uh, the one thing I will tell you is that employees are not motivated, uh, quite the opposite. <laughs> they're not motivated to make you money. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you think they're going to work right? hard yep. for you to buy another Corvette, they're, they're not. Um, and so culture has to be genuine. And so if you're yep. listening to this and you're not that guy right now, you're not that girl, um, but you want to be, you can, you can be more in t- intentional about it for sure. Um, but, I, but I do think that you have to realize, and I realized this at my company, uh, that, that there was a year where I felt like, okay, we've, we've got enough to, to, to live and we're not, we're not paying, you know, you know, waiting on money to pay bills that we can't afford and robbing Peter to pay Paul, that kind of thing. We've done that for a long time. We got to a point where we're pretty comfortable. And I'll be honest with you, it was a little depressing. Because for so long, my business had been all about grinding to survive. And then I had to refocus and realize, oh, it's just not about the money. I'm not going to be happier making more money as a, as a business owner. And, it, and, it, and it, it helped me about that time. I started working with a, with a business coach, uh, Ryan Chipman, a great guy that you and I both know well, um, and very intentional guy. And he said, what's your purpose? What's the purpose of this company? Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the purpose is. And, and we spent an entire day figuring out the purpose and values of this company. And they're still pretty much intact today. And, and ultimately it's to save lawns and impact people. Like we, I yeah. love when we go out and we take care of somebody's yard and we make it beautiful. And, and I love when we get to impact people doing that. And, and I tell our guys all the time, listen, we're not, we're not finding orphans homes and we're not curing cancer. You know, so, you know, there's levels of impacting people. Um, and I admit that, but you know, when someone comes home to a, you know, a beautiful lawn with no weeds and the, and the husband pulls in and knows he's going to get to you know, pull out the mower and cut that grass and it's lush, it's green. You know, that's a happy, that's a happy moment. I mean, it brings a little joy, you know, counter, they come home and they see a yard full of weeds and they paid you to do that. They're going to be very unhappy. Right. And so, yeah. you know, we have a chance to, to impact people. I, I tell our guys, we show up to a home, we knock on the door. We introduce ourselves. Hey, we're here to treat your lawn. My name's Aaron. I'm here to treat your lawn. How, hope you're doing great. Anything I need, you need? I mean, you get to show that person, you know, a little bit of friendship, a little bit of friendliness. You and, know? And so these are like, these are core yeah. human things that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not dollars and cents, I know, but there's a core human need to be about something bigger than ourselves. Uh, this is what brings joy in life. And, and there's something powerful about being a part of a group where I connect uh, on a level of where we share common values, because that's usually where the best kinds of friendships are born from groups where we share some common values. And so usually when I bump into a company, the reason this isn't healthy is because one, it's not defined. So we haven't really taken the time like Aaron went through to say, what am, what is this about? What kind of what kind of community am I trying to build? What, what am I? Tr- what can I rally everyone around? And then two, it's not enforced, meaning that when someone isn't living the core values, we let them continue to hang out in the company. We let them continue to be a part of the company. And mm-hmm. there's this joke that someone said, "Dan, you're like the hatchet man because everywhere you go, people get fired." And and I felt so bad because I'm such a nice person, but I. 
But the reason I think that is, is because wherever I would go, I would tell people, if there are people that don't fit your core values, you need to let them go. Because it's not fair to you as the owner to have to deal with that every day. It's not fair to your team who do fit the values because now they have to deal with grumpy Joe every day. And then it's not fair to grumpy Joe because one of the reasons he's grumpy is he's surrounded by so many happy, positive people. Let's let Joe grumpy Joe go work with a grumpy place. And, and so like we have to be willing to make some hard decisions there where we're willing to say, Hey, if this person isn't a fit with our core values, it's not that they're a bad person. It's just that they don't value the same things I value. Like they value dishonesty and I value honesty. <laughs> so we need so to like, not have them if, be around. If you're going to commit to being a culture-driven company, um, then you have to commit to getting rid of people. Because if you bring all this yeah. to your team and you say, we're going to be this culture-driven team, we're going to adhere to these values and we're going to live these values, and you let someone stay, You'd be better off not even bringing the values in because you can yeah. at least hide behind, you know, that. But you can't, you can't say you believe these things and then not do that. The other thing is, certainly, there's a lot of grumpy joes out there for sure. Sometimes there's just somebody that just doesn't quite fit, and yeah. they're not grumpy and they're not bad and they didn't show up late and they didn't do anything really egregious, but they don't meet the core values. And I tell people, I tell our team all the time this. If you don't get our core values, it doesn't mean that we are good and you're bad, right? Like there's a lot of people that that I think are great people, but I didn't choose to marry them. You know, a lot of females that, that you know, I thought were great people, great friends, be very attractive, right? But I, we didn't get married because the values didn't yeah. align, right? And, and so we are, we're kind of picking marriage partners here in business. I mean, these are especially on the leadership team, right? Um, and so <laughs> don't, don't take that analogy gonna, too far. Don't take that analogy too far. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to, but, but we are, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. We're going to have to, you know, we're, it's going to get complicated. It's going to get messy. Yeah. We're going to make, we're going to be making, you know, arguing for this company to debating what, which direction this company goes. I've mm -hmm. got to be able to have that person that I can have that hard conversation. I, I love the one you should tell the story about checking your ego. Like the, the guy yeah. in your old company where, where, you know, you know, that, yeah. that, that came up and I'll, I'll tell the story quickly, but I was brand new to a company. They taught the core values, but you know, when you're new to a company, they always teach the core values. So I wasn't sure if that was for real. One of our core values was we check our egos at the door and I'd made a mistake uh, because I was new um, it was a fairly intimate mistake, but it had a big consequence. And so the director and the manager were started going back and forth about what should be done. And they, the voices got raised and raised a little more, raised a little more still. And finally the director turned to the manager and just said, this is your ego and you need to check it. And I was like, Oh snap. He went there. Well, what was so amazing about that interaction is that the manager then said, you're right. You're right. This is my ego. And he checked his ego in that moment, in the heat of battle. He checked it. Great leader, by the way, just one of my favorite people. But I realized immediately, oh, this is real. In fact, it's one of the best ways to tell if the cultural, the values of a culture are real is if in the heat of the moment, 
Think about that example I gave from the guy from Detroit who was cussing out in the heat of battle. He didn't go to the things he claimed to care about. He went to this other place. And that's the evidence of what where the values really are is when the heat of ballot battle is on. And so again, we won't belabor the point. Uh, if you don't have values yet, it's a great activity to do with your team. And we'll probably talk a lot more about it on this on this podcast because part of being a great CEO is developing and building great culture. And and that happens over time. Now, for the one person in the back of their mind that's saying, but man, I'm hiring long care tech. That's my advertisement on Indeed, long care tech. We can't find cultural fit people in the long care tech space. I'm telling you right now, not true. Not true. In fact, I was chatting with a friend of mine the other day who said, we finally started firing even our techs when they weren't a fit core values wise. He said, what surprised me is that we had more applications the more we did that. Uh, we even had someone, he, t- he said, walked into the office and said, I'm here to start. And we're like, we didn't hire you. <laughs> and he said, I know, but I want to work for you. I've heard all about how great this team is. I've heard about how great your culture is. Is there any way I could start? And they said, well, we're not really hiring. And he said, that's okay. I'm willing to wait. And he just kind of sat down in the office, right? And it's like, when you get the, start getting the cultural pieces right, all of a sudden now you're really healthy and that healthy culture attracts people. And usually people who, who either connect with, these are friends and family members or relatives of the people working for you who are core value fits. And they know, hey, if I go there, I'm going to be, be treated really well. I'm going to be taken care of in a good way. So yes, it can happen even in the long care space. We can create these great cultures. Okay. So again, if, I'm, if you're a pregnant woman, so imagine yourself as a pregnant woman, uh, and we bring you in, we're going to hook you up to some monitors to evaluate your health and the health of your baby. And by the way, in most of these areas, when we bump into a, an owner or a CEO, wouldn't you agree, Aaron? you can kind of tell by looking at them whether or not that owner has it together, whether or not they're, they're operating a healthy company. And it usually looks like bags under their eyes. It usually looks like gray hairs. It usually looks like, you know, just a little bit of, of wear and tear on that human. And you can say, ooh, so we check the health of the mom and we also help the check of the baby. That's your culture. That's your, um, your financial health. That's your meeting rhythms, simple systems. And usually they're related. And they're related in the, if you're a pregnant woman, uh, they're related, uh, baby and mom, their health usually go together and the health of the CEO. And by the way, often usually physical health, like literally their blood pressure, their, their mm-hmm. weight gain, all connected to the health mm-hmm. of that baby and, and the, and the business. And so as those two things, we evaluate both of those things, we would evaluate if we were starting today and our goal of this podcast is to help you evaluate, do a little self-evaluation yourself to say, Hey, where are we at in these areas? The first one's financial health. The second is business rhythms. The third is the simplicity of your systems. And then finally, the culture of your company and the overall vibe of those employees as you're moving forward. Aaron, final thoughts. If you want a healthy company, you have to work in these four areas. Hmm. Pretty simple. It's hard, but it's simple. The steps are here. Um, simple, but not easy. a healthy company. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, you know, we have the opportunities we have in entrepreneurship, 
because if it was easy, I don't think it would exist. And so mm. um, you're not signing up for easy today. If you're in the scale of your company and you're growing a company, you know, we work with a couple of companies that, you know, are getting started and, and, you know, but we did this to have time with our families. We, we did this to, to not be tied to something all the time. This will get you, these four steps will get you removed from your business faster than anything else that we could teach you. Mm. Um, and so implementing and, and being serious and genuine about implementing these, um, you know, the genuine in the culture, serious about the rest of them, that'll get you the freedom that you thought you were getting when you went into business. If you don't mm. do these things, you're going to be tied to your, you're going to be a technician the rest of your life. Um, and so uh, we can talk to you how to, how to build a, a, a really simple technician driven business, but that's a whole nother discussion. This yeah. is for somebody who's wanting that's, to scale. That's lawn care. Out. That's long, the lawn care technician podcast. This is the lawn care yeah. CEO <laughs> podcast, right? So right. our goal is right. to, our goal is to help you. You know, my final thought, Aaron, very, I love that thought that just says, Hey, listen, this is the path. This is the way. Um, for me, uh, it's just this hope, like entrepreneurship can either be the greatest job in the world or your worst nightmare. <laughs> it, and by the way, um, it's sort of the, true. I always tell my wife, I'm like, man, labor and delivery is the only happy place in the hospital. It's the only place where women want to want to be there and they don't want to leave. Right. It's like the only happy place <laughs> yeah. in the hospital except when it's not. And that yeah. it is the saddest, most tragic place in a hospital. And so, you know, for me, um, I, I, I've met too many entrepreneurs, even in my short stint in the lawn care world, like I met too many lawn care entrepreneurs where they're really in trouble. And, I, and, and then I've also met the opposite where I watch Aaron is an example of this, but other entrepreneurs in the lawn care space where they're really healthy. And when it's healthy, it is so good. This is such a great business to be in. It's such, you make great margins. You have great freedom. You're outside. Like There's just so much good where you can impact uh, people in a really great way when it's healthy. And so like get committed, as Aaron alluded to. Get committed to making a very, very healthy lawn care company as soon as possible. That's our invitation to you. Get committed to being healthy. Um, and when you do, you're going to see great results, great returns. Thank you once again for joining us on the Lawn Care CEO podcast. Once again, I'm Dan Ralphs. This is Aaron Suttonfield signing off. Be good, everybody.